The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. All right, next up we have our second base position preview. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Wednesday, February 9th. I am Frank Stample, joined by my good buddy Scott White and Chris Towers, breaking down the entire second base position, ADP review, sleepers, breakouts, and busts, strategy, and much more. Let's jump right in. Let's see how efficient we could be throughout the course of today's position preview, because I know the other ones have, have gone on pretty long, although I've gotten some feedback. People people like the longer podcast, so I don't know. Of course they do. Of course. A little give and if, take. If, if, if you like something, you like even more of it. It sounds except, yeah, like right. except arrested so, development, right? When when they when they well no, no longer actually, limited most, to twenty three minute episodes. Most TV shows, I would say, you want like you get five great seasons out of a TV show, and you're really lucky. But <laughs> most of them fall off after that. It's really yeah. hard. I'm, a, I'm about to hit that point in my Scrubs rewatch. I, I was I was dreaded. I was I was referring more to the the episode length and how sure. you know. It just threw off the timing, not having to have that quick-paced editing. But anyway, we're, we're getting off track. I love getting off track. I mean, what would this <laughs> podcast be without that? It shouldn't surprise anyone that I haven't watched Arrested Development or Scrubs throughout the course of my life. Who knows? Maybe maybe I'll get there one day. Scott, what do you think about the second base position? What does this position look like? Which second baseman do you find yourself drafting most? Okay, well, it looks, it looks pretty good compared to recent years. I, it doesn't really stand out as, as weak as far as infield position goes. In fact, it might be the second strongest infield position. Uh, the one word of caution as far as that goes is that it shares a lot of what makes shortstop good. Second base literally shares with it. I, I mean, there are many high-end dual-eligible players between those two positions, including Trey Turner, Marcus Simeon, uh, Javier Baez, Jorge Polanco, Jazz Chisholm, Jake Cronenworth, Brendan Rodgers, Chris Taylor. I believe 11 of the top 15 are dual eligible. Well, and I didn't even mention the outfield dual eligible guys like uh, Whit Merrifield and... uh, Yeah, he is outfield eligible, isn't he? And Marcus Simeon will be dual eligible. Tommy Edmond. Outfield yep. eligible. Um, yeah, so you, you just have to be careful of that. There, there aren't that many purely second base eligible players. And, and so, you know, if you, if you let yourself fall asleep at the position, you could still get burned. But having said that, I don't often get burned. I don't often get burned. I fill that spot within the first 
nine, ten rounds of the draft probably, and uh, and then it's filled, and I don't have to really think about it too much after that. You asked me who I ended up drafting most at the position. Yep. Maybe Jose Altuve. I, I like the value of him relative to some of the others in his tier. Uh, you know, maybe Jorge Polanco, but I don't know. I I I don't think uh, I don't think there is one guy who I've been who I've been drafting significantly more than anybody else. It, it kind of just there's a very large tier after Trey Turner who occupies a tier unto himself, and I just usually take the best of of who's available in that tier. Yeah, I think it's a really good point that you, you guys bring up regarding regarding the multi-position eligibility at the second base position just overall. I mean, 16 of the top 20 ranked in terms of ADP right now are have multi-position eligibility. So this is actually a position that could dry up pretty quickly when you start to consider, again, Whit Merrifield, Cattell Marte, Marcus Semien, Javier Baez, those those guys all being used potentially at other position positions. So I, I think it's a really good point and one to consider that second base can dry up rather quickly here. Chris, what do you think about the second base position overall? Your Your thoughts, your strategy, and who do you find yourself drafting most at the position? I probably... Draft Cattell Marte the most, which shouldn't come as much of a surprise, but I just think that the leap he's made over the last three years, uh, really the only exception, the only time he hasn't had a 900 OPS over the past three seasons was a short season. His overall line in that time is 318, 374, 543. There have been injuries, which is a problem, but if he stays healthy, I think he's a, I mean, God, he might be a 300... 30 homer, 200 runs in RBI, 10 steals guy. Like, Cattell Marte legitimately might have first-round potential if he stays healthy. So, as always, if he stays healthy, if that's the the argument against a guy, I'm going to like that guy more than (laughs) the consensus. My overall thoughts on the position are that I think it might be a little overrated or there are pockets of overration within the position. I This might be unpopular, but I think Ozzy Albies is probably being drafted close to his peak. Last season was... There are some warning signs in his profile from last season if you're counting on him to be a 30 homer, 20 steal guy again. Career high in steals by five, career high in homers. A lot of homers that just barely left the field or the yard last season. Uh, specifically, in 2019, 10 of his 25 homers were considered doubters, according to StatCast, which means they barely cleared the fence. In 2021, that was almost 67%. That was almost two-thirds. It was 19 out of 30. And so that's the kind of thing that can fluctuate a lot from year to year. And all of a sudden, he's back to being a 25-15 guy. He's probably not going to drive in 100 runs again. He's not great at batting average. He's he doesn't he doesn't sound like a second rounder and you know we've talked about Jonathan India as a bust before I I don't love his value um, and then there's just some old guys Jose Altuve with Merrifield some real high variance guy it's just I don't love it you know I, I think it's a fine position but I think there are a lot of potential pitfalls at second base. All right, I'm going to have some retorts on Ozzy Albies when we get to him in our ADP review, but let's let's start with that ADP review. 12 second base eligible players going inside of the top 100 picks right now, according to Fantasy Pro's average draft position. And first up, no surprise here, Trey Turner. 
second overall right now. 2.0 is the ADP. He's the only second base eligible player going in the first round of drafts right now. And he is coming off a fantastic season. 328 batting average, 28 homers, 107 runs scored, 77 RBI, 32 steals. Um, Look, at this point, I'm not really doubting the power increase that we've seen. Obviously, the speed has taken a little bit of a step back. Scott, I think the biggest question is just how early are you drafting him, right? Like, are you, are you using a top three pick on him in Roto? How how much is the difference between Roto versus head-to-head points? Because I think he may, he might drop a little bit in that format. So what would you say to those questions? Well, early on, I, I, I'm, I, I would say it seems like the ultra-cautious may be willing to go as high as one overall with him. Early on, that seemed to be the consensus. Like, I'm talking about when the very first drafts in, like, November... Um, and, and fortunately, it seems like uh, Fernando Tatis has passed him. I, I think a couple others should pass him as well because, I, you know, the overall ceiling, particularly with uh, with him being one of the lesser power sources that goes in the first round, uh, I, I don't, I, you know, they're, they're, just, they're just some really, like, generational talents of, that I don't understand taking Trey Turner ahead of unless you're just playing it ultra cautiously. And of course, Tatis has the shoulder thing. I don't know. You guys were making the case for why Vladimir Guerrero might disappoint. Ronald Acuna is not really in the discussion. Generational talent, though he is because of his knee issue. So, you know, Trey Turner has to go ahead of him. Uh, top five pick, I would say, in in five by five leagues. I think I'm fourth. He's more like eighth in points leagues for me but you know first rounder either way it's the it's the first time we've had i think uh, a first round second baseman since jose altuve was at the height of his powers and consistently going in round one right and it, and it looks to be only a one-year phenomenon it's worth pointing out trey turner is expected to slide over to shortstop now that Corey seager is in texas and uh so he probably won't have second base eligibility going into next season but we'll enjoy it while he has it. And um, yeah, I mean, definitely if, if batting average and, and stolen bases are things you prioritize early, Trey Turner is somebody who's going to appeal to you. Yep, and he appeals to me quite a bit. Usually with my early round picks in a roto or a head-to-head categories league, uh, I, I like to uh, wind up with one of batting average or steals if you can wind up with both. Fantastic, especially without hurting your home run totals. So, uh, Chris, look, for me, I, I'm totally fine with using a top three pick on Trey Turner, especially if you're one that likes to play it safe in the first round. I, I think he's about as safe as they come. 300-plus batting average, 25-plus homers, 30-plus steals. I think those are all fairly reasonable expectations for Trey Turner at this point. And I think safe is underselling him a little bit because... Over the past three seasons, which is really when he made the leap as a hitter, he was on something like a 25 homer pace in 2019, if not for injuries. Was on a similar pace in 2020. Um, you know, got almost a 30 last season in 148 games. His 162 game pace since the start of the 2019 season is 317 average, 29 homers, 39 steals, 209 combined runs in RBI. If he does that this season, he might not be the number one player in fantasy, but he's going to be in the discussion. And so I do think there is significant, significant upside along with it. It's also possible he goes back to being more like a 295 hitter with 20 homers, in which case he's still probably 
you know, he, he hasn't really been outside of the first round in a while. So there, there's, it's hard to see things going too wrong for him. So I think he is safe, yes, but there's a lot of upside as well. Let's move on to Ozzy Albies, who's going in the second round, as Chris mentioned. 21 is the ADP. And my retort, Chris, to everything that you said, I understand, like, the power could regress a little bit. Maybe the steals regress as well. He's just 25 years old. When I saw his age earlier, uh, you know, researching Ozzy Albies, I was like, are you serious? This, it feels like he's been around forever and he just turned 25 years old. So it just kind of feels like he's maturing as a player. He's growing into his power. And uh, I don't I don't think that he's like getting faster or anything. So maybe those deals do take a little bit of a a step back. But, you know, last year leaned all the way into hitting more fly balls, which led to more home runs overall. Um, but yeah, I just I just kind of feel like he's progressing and maturing as a hitter uh, overall, Chris. So I guess that would be like my main retort as to why I, I basically trust this as uh, Ozzy Albies as a second round player, more so in Roto than in a points league. Well, my retort would be that by pretty much every measure of a hitter, not a fantasy asset, but of a hitter, he was better in 2019 than he was in 2021. And he's going higher now because he had the 30 homers and the career highs, 20 stolen bases. And so he had these kind of career highs pretty much across the board, maybe not in runs, I don't think, but every other category was a career high. It was two off his career high in runs. And it's not to say he's not a good player. And it's not to say that I think there's some huge risk with him. I just think he's probably more like the guy who was going in the 40 range uh, in previous seasons than the guy who's a borderline second rounder or often just a second rounder. So that would be my only thing is it's not, it's not that I don't like Ozzy Albies. I just don't like paying for a player coming off a, a career year at what is likely peak value. That makes sense. I mean, more often than not, if you fade a player coming off of a career year, I, I, I think that will be a, a winning strategy for you in all fantasy sports, not just fantasy baseball. Uh, Scott, where are you at when it comes to Ozzy Albies, again, hit more fly balls than ever, which ultimately led to the lower batting average, the lower BABIP. Um, so uh, I don't know if that's here to stay. You know, maybe um, that regresses yeah. a little bit and the batting average bounces back. But even if the power takes a little bit of a step back and the speed, he's a very high floor player, specifically in Roto. Last three full yeah. seasons, 2021, 2019, 2018, he's finished 45th or better each of those full seasons. Mm -hmm. So if nothing else, he has a very, very high floor in this Braves lineup. I mean, it's 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 been a few years where he's basically been locked in as like a third round type pick. I understand he's going a little earlier this year, more on average toward the end of the second. But you know, in some leagues, that's going to be in the middle of the third. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I've, I've always thought I I didn't quite like that price for him, even in previous years when he went a little later. Um, I feel like he's a little overrated in fantasy. I, I think people kind of overestimate his steals potential. You know, he's he, he did get to 20 last year for the first time. I, I'm with Chris in that I think more often he's going to be a 25 homer, 15 steal guy than 30, 20 like he was last year. Um, but, you know, in, in a good lineup, a lot of runs, a lot of RBI, just not enough of a, you know, if you're talking about a categories league, just not enough of a standout at anything for me to invest that early pick in him. And if you're talking about a points league, you know, the range where he tends to go, I'm, I'm probably looking starting pitcher instead. So I just, I think there are enough other high end second basemen that you don't really need to pay the premium for him. 
Yeah. And look, if we're talking Ozzy Albies, we have to mention at least the weird split situation with him. He's a switch hitter, but he's much better as a right-handed batter in his career. So facing left-handed pitching, 339 batting average, 947 OPS for his career. And then as a left-handed batter versus right-handed pitching, 250 batting average, 752 OPS. So, you know, we've, yeah. we've talked about the possibility of the past couple of years of him just going full-time as a right-handed batter and, and trying it out. I haven't heard more talk of whether he's actually going to do it, but I, I can only think it would help. So I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. He just he just he just golfs everything from the left side. It's I so mean, weird. I, that's yeah. why I don't. He did, he did hit two ninety five in twenty nineteen. He doesn't strike out much, but it, I think it's like a Jose Ramirez situation where there's really yeah. not much room for him to hit for like a good batting average. It'll be okay, but he's not going to really help you in the category. And, and I think for him to ever ditch switch hitting, I think he would have to go like. Rugnet Odor bad to to ever even consider that you don't you don't get to the level that he's at with the success he's had and think about ditching switch hitting like I just I, I don't see that how that would ever work so I think it's he's gonna have those splits moving forward for the most part I believe yeah all, all fair points uh, yeah I think he's probably gonna remain a switch hitter as well Marcus Semyon we're moving into the third round here. 28.7 is the ADP coming off a massive, massive career year with the Toronto Blue Jays. 265 batting average, 45 homers, 115 runs, 102 RBI, 15 steals. He finished as the seventh overall player in Roto. 3.7 fantasy points per game. That was tied for first at the position last year. So regardless of format, this guy was fantastic. The problem, now he moves over from those three great ballparks, Dunedin, Buffalo, and playing in Rogers Center out there in Toronto, to Texas. Now calls uh, the, the Rangers ballpark Globe Life Field his home. Um, and according to StatCast, the 45 home runs that he hit last year, if he played all of his games in Texas, he would have hit 32 home runs. So that's still like a really good mark, but obviously it's not 45 home runs. So, Scott, yeah. what do you think about this price tag? For me, I mean, third round, I... It just doesn't really make sense to me. Like Corey Seager, we're getting this huge discount. He's going in whatever, sixth, seventh, sometimes eighth round in 12 team leagues. Marcus yeah. Semyon, still a third round pick. I don't get it. And like Corey Seager's bat skills scream out at you in a way that Marcus Simeon's don't. Like Marcus Simeon got everything he possibly could out of his profile last year. And, and you know, Statcast had him as one of the biggest overachievers. And so, you know, that that had me you know, a little uneasy about taking him this high. And then he moved from the AL East with all its hitters parks to the AL West with all its pitchers parks. And, you know, that made me a little uneasy too, but you know, there was 2019 when he was with Oakland in the AL West and that was, you know, four, hit 45 home runs, but he was third in AL MVP voting that year too. Two of the last three years, he's been amazing. The year in between awful. Um, but you know, and, and the team he signed with is the Rangers. So he went from the third best third highest scoring offense last year to the third lowest scoring offense last year. And I know Corey Seager's joining him, but you know, Joey Gallo's not there anymore. And I, I still think it's going to be a bad offense and that's going to cost him somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 40 combined runs in RBI. I suspect if he sustains last year's home run pace, which I already wasn't counting on him doing. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, there's no way, there's no way I'm drafting him at this point. He's, yeah, he's he's on my bust list. Same. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Scott. It's not just the ballpark and the other ballparks that will be playing in in the AL West. It's it's the change in lineup 
as well. You know, Corey Seager is there. I get it. But roster resource has Willie Calhoun as the leadoff hitter for the Texas Rangers. As much as I love Willie Calhoun and I want him to be a thing, I look, I pray. I pray Willie Calhoun can break out. It's probably not going to happen, but this lineup, it, it needs a lot of work. It's They have two great hitters, but outside of that, um, they they do need some help. So, uh, yeah, the, the ballpark change, the the lineup change there, and you mentioned the StatCast data, 265 batting average, 538 slug last year. According to StatCast, 245 XBA, 455 X slug. I mean, those are massive, massive differences. Chris, where do you come out here on Marcus Semien? Uh, is this price too high moving over to Texas? I, I think I pretty much agree with everything you said. I don't know if I, I buy that he's going to be a total bust because I do think there's there's some safety in being a 25 homer, 10 to 15 stolen base guy. And I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if he ran more in Texas as well. He's still very fast, 87th percentile sprint speed. Um, but yeah, he actually had worse expected numbers in 2021 than he did in 2019. And he was one of the most extreme pull hitters in in the game. I mean, you look at his home run, uh, his spray chart, basically all of his home runs and all of his doubles were down the left field line. It's, it's kind of wild. He has maybe 10 to left center in terms of home runs, two to the opposite field. So that's how you get the most out of a slightly above average-ish raw power set. Um, I... I, I don't think things can go that wrong for him. I'm not sure he should be, you know, I guess there's not much of a difference between him and Ozzy Albies. I think they're very similar players probably. Um, and one other thing to not overlook is he had 724 plate appearances last season. So it's not just that the lineup is worse. And so he'll, you know, not score as many runs in RBI. He literally won't have as many opportunities to put up the numbers that he did last season. He had 724 plate appearances and he started in the leadoff spot just over half the time. That is nuts. That is like, I think he was like top five in baseball in plate appearances last season, despite only hitting leadoff a little over half the time. That is really, really hard to do. And, you know, even if he plays 155 games next season, he might lose 60 plate appearances. Like that's not out of the question. Sorry, he led baseball in plate appearances. Yeah. Despite no. not always being a leadoff hitter. That was a, a massive total for him. And it just goes to show how great, how like truly great the Toronto Blue Jays lineup was last year. So not going to come close to replicating that volume. I will say he's he's got this Whit Merrifield thing going on where he's an Ironman. He's only missed 10 games over the mm-hmm. last four years. So he is very, very durable and uh, should be on the field very often for the Texas Rangers. I agree with you, Chris. I think there's a chance that he could run more. The Rangers under Chris Woodward have been very aggressive on the base pads. 286 steals since 2019. That's second most in baseball. And you mentioned his sprint speed. So I think there's a chance that he can attempt more um, bases, uh, stolen bases, but he was also really efficient last year, 15 for 16. So I think it's a little bit of give and take. Like could run more, but probably a little bit less efficient uh, moving forward. Whit Merrifield next up, also going in the third round, just after Marcus Semien. The ADP for Whit Merrifield is 33.3, and it was a fine season for Whit Merrifield. Not, uh, I wouldn't call it a fantastic season, but it was fine. 277 batting average, 10 homers, 97 runs scored, 40 steals. His 151 steals since 2017 are the second most 
in baseball. He just turned 33 years old. Scott, I've referenced this a few times so far in the offseason. I think Whit Merrifield is a good player, but he relies so much on volume that there's not really much margin for error. So if he happened to have a down couple of months or get hurt for some reason, which you shouldn't expect, then it could really just kind of throw off the overall output for Whit Merrifield. So because of that, even though he gives a lot of speed, I don't really love the cost in the third round. Well, I mean, he's it, it's not just volume. Like, the for, from a points league perspective, yeah, I could see that. But it's, it's that he is one of the most consistent high-volume base dealers. And, and, and stolen bases is the most coveted category in categories leagues. So, you know, you got him and Starling Marte both penciled in for about 40 steals going in this round three range. One is eligible at second base in addition to the outfield. Neither is probably going to hit you 20 home runs, but, you know, might be in the neighborhood of 15. Yeah, I, I think it's an appropriate place to take him. Just looking at it relatively relative to Marte like that, I'm I'm probably not going to because I am being intentionally unintentional about steals this year, and I I don't want to invest an early round pick in a guy who's not going to give me probably at least 25 home runs, much less 20. Uh, so, you know, I'm 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 just not gonna. That's just not how I want to use that kind of draft pick. I'm more likely to take Whit Merrifield in a points league where he tends to slide to like round seven even though his production there has been, you know, he hits a lot of doubles. So kind of makes up for his lack of homers in that format. And mm-hmm. uh, he's kind of underrated, I think, in points leagues. Uh, but I, I don't know that this is an inappropriate spot to take him in categories leagues, just just judging by the way stolen bases are valued right now. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for me, Chris, is that I, I just kind of question how good is Whit Merrifield at this point? Like, I know he gives you the steals, but just... All the underlying numbers, the OPS down to a career low 7-11 last year. It just seems so weird for a third-round player. The 5% home run to fly ball ratio, that was a career low, likely because of the, the, the new ball that we had last season. All the bad ball metrics, pretty uninspiring. Actually, I mean, like quite bad. 12th percentile or lower in average exit velocity, barrel rate, hard hit rate. Uh, not that he relies on those things, but I don't know. I, I guess I just overall just don't, don't trust the player outside of the steals. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a question of how long can he keep maximizing his skill set the way he has because the the bad ball metrics last year weren't much less impressive than they have been before. You know, the, the expected stats were. His 301 ex-WOBA was the worst of his career and it was also his worst WOBA. So those things matched together. But it's also one season where it's not like there's been like perpetual signs of decline really and... I don't know. I don't I don't really think he deserves to be going much later than Ozzy Albies and Marcus Simeon, to be honest. Just given the fact that he's likely to be better than both of them in batting average, way better in stolen bases. He's not a nothing in home runs. He scores 100 runs pretty much every year, even in a bad lineup, and that lineup should be better this year. I don't know. I, I think Whit Merrifield, like, the age is a concern, and maybe it just drops off, but also... He's led the league in at-bats three straight seasons, the majors in at-bats, and that is a sneaky, helpful thing in Roto when it comes to batting average. If he hits 280 with a league high at-bats and like like 664 and 681 in his last two full seasons, that's going to help your batting average a lot. 
a lot more than your normal 280 hitter. So just something to keep throw out there. You know, he does rely a lot on volume. That's that's part of it. And that is more true for him than most of the, the players in this range. But I don't know. I think he's sneaky undervalued. I really don't have a good reason not to like with Merrifield. Maybe I'm just being ageist. Uh, he just yep. turned 33 years old, but still 87th percentile in sprint speed. So he's fast. He makes a lot of contact, hits a lot of line drives that those things are all conducive to batting average and he's going to give you run scored. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little bit unfair to Whit Merrifield, but just seems hard for me to to use a third round pick uh, on Whit Merrifield this upcoming season. Scotty, you mentioned Jose Altuve early on as the second baseman. You uh, are potentially targeting most often here uh, and he was great last year as well I bounced back after the shortened season we didn't know man is this the beginning of the end for Jose Altuve and and he proved all the doubters wrong 278 batting average 31 home runs 117 runs scored that led the second base position last year only five steals so you know there's been a trade-off here obviously he's not running as much the batting average not nearly as good as it was in his prime but the Home runs and the run scored are still fantastic at the position. So um, what are you looking at when it comes to Jose Altuve? How much of this do you actually trust maybe uh, going from year to year for Jose Altuve? I mean, I, I don't see a lot of reason to doubt him. I, I know we had doubts in the the shortened 2020 season when his, his numbers took a nosedive and it was fresh off the, the uh, what are we calling that scandal? The sign stealing scandal. Yeah. Um, there has to be a better name but, for it than that, right? Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Something trash um, can related, probably. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, 31 home runs equaled his... I, I Like, he doesn't run anymore. I, I feel like he's being undervalued, and I'm not really sure why. It's either because people just don't like him because of the scandal still. There's some like, some of that carryover effect, or it's just, you know, he's not a base stealer anymore. And sort of the, you know, I, I feel like people, there, there's kind of this, people are so desperate to to get steals any way they can that they end up, they end up undervaluing players like Altuve who might lead the majors and runs who has that same batting average boosts with the at bats that Chris was talking about with Whit Merrifield, who's going to hit somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 home runs, be among the most home you know, providing some of the most power at the position. And, you know, I, I don't mean to keep taking this back to a points league context, but, Points per game last year, Altuve was on par basically with Marcus Simeon when Marcus Simeon had this historic season for a second baseman. He was ahead of Ozzy Albies with Ozzy Albies putting up those career numbers. And so I, I think he stands out pretty clearly from the Brandon Lows and Whit Merrifields. And in terms of overall production, he stands out in in this group of second basemen that he's going around. And, and a lot of times he ends up being the latest to go with us. You know, sometimes as late as like round six in a 12-team league. And so I love snatching him up at that point. Yeah, I think specifically in a points league, Scott, you're right. He's someone that should be elevated a little bit. Fourth, fifth round. Um, You know your league, so if they are not valuing Jose Altuve the way that they should, then just snatch him up, take the discount. But you're right. 3.6 fantasy points per game in both 2021 and in 2019, which is just a fantastic mark in that format. And regardless of the steals last year, he only had five steals. 
he finished as a 30th overall player in Roto last season, and a lot of it has to do with those counting stats. Chris, yeah. he, he isn't a perfect player at this point in his career. He turns 32 years old in May, and there are some signs here. Last year, basically sold out for power, career high, 38.7% fly ball rate, and a near 18% infield fly ball rate, which is quite bad. I mean, Jose Altuve, you think of him as like a contact here. He makes really, really mm-hmm. solid contact. That was much higher than anything we've ever seen from him before in that category. So it seems like very clearly trying to lift the ball and hit for power. Um, and, and that mark is just is not great. So uh, how much do things like that potentially worry you about Jose Altuve? There are definitely red flags in his profile. It's not just his age. It's not just the the injury scares that he had, he's had in recent seasons. You know, he he had his second lowest ex-WOBA of the last six years in 2021, and 2020 was his lowest. So that's that's a concerning trend. On the other hand, in the StatCast era, he's outperformed his ex-WOBA by 25 points of WOBA. Right. That's his, pretty his StatCast data never looks good. You look at his spray chart, it is hilarious. <laughs> he had no hits to the right side of the field. Right. I'm not exact. He literally had... Outside of the infield, it looks like he had eight hits last season to the right side of the field. That is unbelievable. And I don't know how sustainable it is. And He's bringing a lot out of a pretty uh, mediocre power set at this point. I guess the, the one thing for me, and, you know, what does he give you that Cattell Marte doesn't? And is there anything he gets? And... Yeah, what does he give you that Cattell Marte doesn't? Especially to make up for the fact that Cattell Marte over the last four seasons, or three seasons, has hit 40 points better than him in average. Yep. I So think- it's, it's more that I just, I think Cattell Marte is just a better value a little behind him, and um, I'm going to draft him. If both of those guys are on the board, I'm going to draft Cattell Marte every time. And, and Marte is a good value. I think the biggest difference here, Chris, is Power, uh, if, obviously, if you want to load up on power, I, I do think Jose Altuve is safer for that. And just mm. obviously a much better lineup, right? So run scored, counting stats, I, I think I would expect that to be better for, for Jose Altuve as well. The one thing I'll say about the stat cast data, much like Alex Bregman, his teammate, Jose Altuve, as you mentioned, pulls everything. And that yeah. that is a ballpark where if you pull fly balls, it is going to be conducive as a right-handed batter to power and it's not necessarily going to show up in the stat cast data. Like you don't really have to hit the ball with authority, a fly ball to left field for it to, to go out in minute May park. So uh, I, I think that he can continue to maintain this, this relatively high home run to fly ball ratio uh, with, you know, subpar but, stat cast numbers. But man, if he doesn't, yeah, it's going to get real ugly. <laughs> He's really like, he needs a really, he needs to really outperform his uh, expected sp- stats and stat cast power data, I guess, to to really be like a, an above average starter at this point. Yep. I love him in points leagues. And I think if you have if you've drafted speed early on in a roto league or if you have plans to get speed later on, he's perfect to target in that six round range in a, in a categories league as well. We're going to take a quick break uh, when we return. We'll do a few. I've got some ADP battles and then we'll get into sleepers, breakouts and busts after that. But first, if you haven't already download and follow fantasy baseball today in five, wherever you listen to this podcast, it's 
basically a shorter version of what we talk about here. It's a spark notes version. We take the biggest topics that we talk about here and we do it in a five minute podcast. Again, that is fantasy baseball today in five. And just a reminder that we will have a live mock draft stream today. When you are listening to this on Wednesday, February 9th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. So come by, hang out, 12-team head-to-head points. Uh, redraft mock is what we'll be doing, and we'll be doing it live here on the YouTube channel. So make sure to to come hang out, and we'll have some fun. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, ADP battles here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so let's take a look at some of these players going in the round 6-7 range. They're going right at the turn. Uh, Javier Baez at pick 72.7, and Brandon Lau, who is going about two picks later at pick 74. Scotty, what do you think uh, about these two? I think they're both very interesting players uh, and and lots to say about each. But uh, who would you rather have if you were debating between Javier Baez and Brandon Lau? I have Lau ranked higher. Yeah, I mean, I think the floor is pretty low for both of them. And I've made the floor case for Baez many times over the years, how he relies on an outlier BABIP, an outlier home run to fly ball rate. And um, actually, his, his plate discipline got worse last year. And he compensated by having, you know, even even a higher BABIP and home run to fly ball rate. And I, I think he's somebody who it won't it won't take much for it to all go very wrong. And maybe the move to Detroit is with the straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't know. He does provide some speed that L- loud doesn't. So you know that that might be why he's going ahead. Um, and then there's over the last couple of years. You know how the Rays are, constantly moving players in and out of the lineup. Times it seems like on a whim, uh, Lau being a left-handed hitter, you know that, that, that only makes him more susceptible to that kind of treatment. Plus, he's just very streaky in general and looked pretty, if memory serves, it was like the first third of last season, he looked pretty useless and then yeah. blew up over the final four months. Uh, and ended up with 39 home runs, which puts him among the all-time leaders at second base for a single season. So, I think, I, I think the key to drafting Lau, and I'm fine doing it. I'd rather have Altuve. 
you know, if I could count on waiting another round and getting Cattell Marte, I'd rather do that. But, you know, you can't always plan out a draft that precisely. And sometimes you just have to take Lau and, or you could just take Cattell Marte instead. I guess maybe Chris would recommend that. I do have Lau ranked ahead, but it's close. Yep. Javier Baez. Uh, Go ahead. But the key to drafting Lau is just sticking with him and not getting caught up in all the streets. That's true of Javier Baez, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you you used a straw that broke the camel's back analogy. It's worth pointing out that the camel was buried under about 800 feet of straw in 2020. That camel died in 2020 (laughs) and was... For bias? Yeah, I mean, it was somewhat resurrected in 2021. He was really good, you know, especially towards the end of the season. A lot of his uh, metrics looked much better when he got to the Mets, which is generally the opposite of what we expect to happen when players join the Mets. Um, <laughs> but yeah, both these guys, it's super high variance profiles. They, yep. they, they could be really, really good. They've both been that in the past, in the very recent past. But you know, they could also frustrate you to the point where you want to drop them and you just, you have to, that's the problem is if the, right. if the camel does die, how would yeah. you know? I, <laughs> How I would think, you know? Like I you would have to stick with them for a long time. Having having been down this path a few times already with Lau, yeah, I mean, I, I think you just have to stick it out with him. You have to go down with the ship if it if it looks like it's going down. I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. in July at the All-Star break or something, you give up finally, but hopefully it doesn't come to that, right? And I guess bias is the same way. Yeah, I mean... I, I I don't really see Lau as the sort of bust risk that I see Simeon being and that I see Baez being uh, because I I just I don't think the warnings the, the the red flags aren't as glaring. It's just more of a it's just more of a streakiness factor and a more of distrust of the Rays factor. Yeah. For him. Chris, who do you prefer between Baez and Brandon Lau? I prefer Lau. I would take I would take Baez and Roto. I would take Lau in a points league. And I'll point out, I think Javier Baez probably represents the one player with the biggest disparity between his points league ranking and his Roto ranking because the plate discipline yeah. is just awful. Last year, 33.6% strikeout rate and routinely around a 5% walk rate. So this isn't meant to like disparage Javier Baez. He's an awesome player to watch in real life, like one of the most entertaining players. But just from a fantasy perspective, there are a lot of red flags, which you guys have pointed out. Strikeouts, outlier Babbitt last year, 352. Outlier home run to fly ball ratio, 28%. Those were both career highs for Javier Baez. Um, and then Brandon Lau, again, like first two months, nearly unusable. 189 batting average, 679 OPS. And then the final four months, 276 30 homers, a 957 OPS. He's awful against lefties, too. Like, yeah. man, Brandon Lau, when it's all said and done, I think the numbers at the end of the year, they'll look good, but you are correct. Very streaky, very frustrating. You just got to stick with him. And, and typically, I, I find myself skipping over both of those names uh, in, in the drafts I've done so far. Javier Baez and Brandon Lau. How about next up? We see Cattell Marte at ADP 80.3 versus Jorge Polanco at pick 84. So going right around that seventh, almost eighth round range, a seven, eight turn here. Chris, uh, we'll start with you because obviously we're talking about Cattell Marte. What do you think in Marte versus Jorge Polanco? I don't think it's even a question. I don't think they should be particularly close. I, I like Jorge Polanco had a pretty good year last year. 
but if you just put what the two of them have done over the last three seasons together, Marte's OPS is over a hundred points higher. It's just, it's, it's a huge, huge gap between the two of them. And so it's basically Jorge Polanco has a better chance of staying healthy is the bet that we're making as a fantasy community. Uh, if he's going ahead and uh, he's not going ahead, he's going right behind. And, but if you have Polanco ahead of Marte, or if you take Polanco ahead of Marte and I yeah, just, nobody, I, nobody should take Polanco ahead of Marte. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think, I honestly don't think they should be within 25 picks of each other. And that might be being generous. I, Maybe I'm too high on Cattell Marte, but the underlying numbers all back up that he broke out in a big way in 2020 or 2019 and followed it up in 2021. 2020 being the outlier. If you're going to ignore an outlier, 2020 is the one to ignore. Um, mm-hmm. He is elite in terms of his quality of contact. And if not quite elite, really, really close. 98th percentile in XBA, 81st in X slug. I feel like people think he might be like, five foot eight or something, but he's six one two ten. Like he's not a small dude. He just, it took him a long time to figure out how to hit for power, but he's figured it out. He's really, really good. I, I cannot say enough about Cattell Marte. If he finished as the number one second baseman, I would be surprised because Trey Turner's there. If he finished as the number one second baseman among players who are eligible in 2023, I would not be surprised. Chris, what's wrong with being five foot eight? You said it like it was a bad thing. It's small for a baseball player. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, unless you're Jose Altuve. You know, people, people. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. People have a skepticism around him. I feel like that, like that, he's like Jose, Jose Altuve, and that he's like sort of a gimmick in terms of the power he's hit for in two of the last three years. And it just every indication is that he is for real, and he is an exceptionally good hitter. Yeah, no, nah, he's he's kind of yoked up too. Like if you watch him play, like you know he's he's wearing he's got, he's, he's got the solid. tight he's got the tight jersey on, like Luke Voigt kind of, and he's he's got like all these and, different and kind of elbow guards and it, like I don't know, he's just like he's and he's been cool guy. top ten percentile in max exit velocity six straight years. Yeah, no, so you, it's not like it came completely out of nowhere. the The underlying data was there. You're right in that of all the second basemen we've discussed to this point, Cattell Marte's batted ball metrics are by far the best, uh, even considering like Trey Turner and, and yeah. the guys up top. Like Cattell Marte stands above the he rest. Might, he might be the best hitter at the position, full stop. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that. 909 OPS last season. It's That is yeah. fantastic. So, um Look, I, I don't think that he's going to hit for as much power that we saw in his breakout 2019 season was probably helped out by the the bouncy ball that year, but uh, hit 14 home runs over 90 games last year. That's a 23 home run pace. If he hits over 300 with 22 to 25 home runs uh, and and strong counting stats, then yeah, he's, he's definitely going to be worth where he's being drafted right now. Scott, what do you think about Cattell Marte versus Jorge Polanco? Maybe give us a little bit more analysis on Polanco because I feel like we haven't given him his justice. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I have. That's the division between tiers for me, Cattell Marte and Jorge Polanco. Though, to me, Polanco's kind of in between tiers where I'm okay with drafting him as my starter. I thought it was going to happen a lot more because I thought people in general would be more skeptical about what was kind of a second breakthrough season for him. Remember that 2019 season first put him on the map as a fantasy asset? But I think he had like 20 homers that year, and you know, power wasn't the biggest part of his profile. And then he terrible 2020, 
And then last year, 33 home runs. Uh, he doesn't really have the batted ball data, the, the exit velocity to support a 33 homer outcome year after year. He does pull the ball in the air a lot, and that's that's one way to max, uh, maximize mm-hmm. that middling sort of exit velocity. But I still think like 25 home runs is a more pro, a more appropriate expectation for him. But like just in a general sense, I do think he's good. I think 2020 yes. was the fluke brought about by a bum ankle that um, he was playing through, had surgery prior to 2021. Actually, I liked him a lot as a sleeper going into last year. He had a miserable first two months. I dropped him in all my leagues, and then he went crazy the rest of the way. So I kind of have a vendetta against him now. But no, I mean, I I, I think he's fine. I think he's fine. I, I, I would like there to be a little more separation between him and Marte and the ADP. It's only like four spots difference. Should be more like 14 probably. But um, I think he's fine. And if, you know, if he ends up being your second baseman, I don't think you should feel too bad about that. I like both of these guys quite a bit. I think this might be the range where I find myself, I'm still kind of forming my second base strategy, but I think this is the range that I want to be a part of. Cattell Marte, Jorge Polanco, even if you think he's going to regress a little bit, last year he finishes a 24th overall player, Jorge Polanco did, and his ADP now is 84. Even back in 2019 when he broke out, he was the 57th overall player. So he's shown the upside in the last two full seasons to be a top 60 player. And again, the ADP is 84. So I think you're getting a bit of a discount there on Polanco. Uh, Again, the pull rate, which Scott mentioned, 52.7% by far a career high. He was below 40% the previous three seasons. So if you're trying to find a reason why this power breakout happened, I think pulling the ball as much as Jorge Polanco did was a good reason for that. I expect regression, you know, maybe 25 to 27 home runs, 8 to 10 steals, but uh, I, I think it's solid batting average and good counting stats. I think this Twins lineup is going to be better than people realize. The next three are going within four picks of each other, so uh, right around round eight right now, and all are 26 years old or younger, so uh, definitely some hype guys in this group here. Jazz Chisholm, the ADP is 90.3. Tommy Edmond, the ADP is 93. And then Jonathan India, the ADP is 94. Chris, we'll start with you once again here. If you had to choose one of these, Jazz, Edmund, India, what do you think? So to be clear, I have to choose one of these. You have to. At this price. You have to. I have no choice in the matter. No choice. I don't like any of their prices, but if I was going to bet on any of them, it would have to be Jazz. I don't buy Tommy Edmund being a 30 steal guy moving forward. So uh, if I'm going to take a swing on one of these guys, it's going to be the guy with the biggest upside. And I, and I do think that is Jazz Chisholm. All right, Scotty, same question to you. Jazz Chisholm, Tommy Edmond, Jonathan India in this round eight range. So I, I do agree that Jazz Chisholm has the most upside, but I also think he's so unlikely to meet that upside that I like the the safe pick here. I like Jonathan India, who... Um, is another one of those middling exit velocity guys who you you wonder if he can sustain. It was his 21 home runs he hit uh, last year. Objection. But, Bad exit velocity. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But 21st he also pulls, percentile in he also average pulls, exit velocity. He also pulls it a yes. lot and plays in a small park, and, and that's not going to change. So yep. Um, and I like that he was pretty bad for the first two months. You say that about a lot of guys in this podcast, it seems like. <laughs> and then 
you know, the final four months is, is really when he blew up. He had 50 extra base hits in those final 108 games, uh, hit 281. I like that, especially for a rookie like him, because a lot of times you see rookies kind of just catch the league by surprise and create this false expectation. And um, then the league catches up to them. And, 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 and that clearly wasn't the case in India's rookie season. He got the more exposure he got, the better he got. Uh, and, and he's he's helpful in steals. I mean, he had twelve of them last year. So, you know, if if twenty ten with a high OBP is just what he is forevermore, he never gets better from there. I think that's fine at this cost. Uh, but he he's more. I I do see him as more like a fallback option and not not somebody I'm aiming to get as my second baseman going into the draft. Plus, if you like to draft players just with awesome hair and like a really cool mustache, I think Jonathan India fits that mold as well. So if that's, you know, part of your criteria, I would probably elevate Jonathan India up your draft board. As bad as the average exit velocity was for Jonathan India last season, 9.6% barrel rate was fourth best at the position. So, you know, he... He had some barrels last year, and obviously it helps playing in, in Cincinnati. So I'll point that out. For me, if I'm in a categories league, I'm going to go with Jazz Chisholm in this range. I, I think that the upside is tremendous. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I think there's also still a lot of inconsistency in his game. The first month last year, 311 batting average, 969 OPS. The final five months, which I know he dealt with a hamstring injury, some bouts with COVID, 236 batting average, a 681 OPS. So we need to see more consistency. But if that happens, he hit 18 home runs with 23 steals in just 124 games. He so, can hit 20 homers with 30 steals. That is within the range of outcomes. Pretty much for half of it came in April. Yeah, no, you're right. But I mean, yeah. what what if? I mean, look, Scott, he's so young, right? Like, what if he just finds a way to become more consistent, right? And if that oh, happens, yeah. I, mean, I mean, look, the it, upside it could is happen. massive. Yeah. It could happen. I just, I just think it's more likely he's this. At best, 700 OPS guy. And I, I don't know that you can pencil him in for 20 steals. I mean, sir, he has the upside for 30, sure. But I don't know. He's just... I think it's I think it's actually more likely that you draft him around 100th and end up dropping him halfway through May than it is that he becomes like a top five player at the position this year. That is probably fair. scenarios, but yeah. I think that's the more likely scenario. And I just think I, th- I think there's still too many good bankable players available in this part of the draft. Yeah, not even necessarily at this position, but you know, just in general. If you're drafting Jazz, by the way, you probably want to make sure that you have a pretty safe core uh, before you draft. You you know maybe you take him as like your fourth or fifth hitter at that point in the draft, but you want to make sure you have some pretty uh, safe pieces around Jazz Chisholm. Um, just in case, just in case something bad happens there with him. Again, Jonathan India is the one that I would target in a points league. Um, I don't love the cost, but I, I think he's, I, I think he's a a, a solid player, uh, especially in that format. Good plate discipline, going to walk a lot. His final four months were really, really strong for Jonathan India. Let's get into our sleepers, breakouts, and busts here at the position, and we will start with sleepers. Scotty, who you got? Sleeper at second base. So this isn't. I, I don't love this. I couldn't find both a sleeper and a breakout, really. <laughs> so I'll save the good one for the breakout, and my sleeper is going to be Nolan Gorman, who's the top prospect at the position. Not going to be up at the start of the year. Uh, he plays for the Cardinals. He just moved from third base last year because they signed 
you know, they got they got Nolan Arenado locked up long term at third base. Um, he was considered like he, he was he was the wow power prospect coming out of high school, and everybody loved him at first. But his minor league production has been kind of laggy. Uh, you you the, the scouts really haven't soured on his power potential though. And you look deeper at those minor league numbers, he's. He's gotten promoted very fast, and basically every time he catches fire at a level in the minors, they they promote him. So he like never has a chance to put up good numbers, basically. And here he is on the verge of the majors at age twenty one now, I believe. He should be up um, sooner than later, I would say, for the Cardinals. And while he's not worth drafting in every league, if you do play in a league where a certain number of prospects are worth stashing from the get-go, and I'm sure you know it if you do. He's probably among the top five guys who are expected to begin the year in the minors but are worth stashing. So Nolan Gorman, don't forget that name. Big power, potential. And while it's not a great ballpark to hit in, the Cardinals lineup is pretty good, right? I mean, we mentioned Tommy Edmond. Paul Goldschmidt on yesterday's podcast, Tyler O'Neill just had a breakout season, Nolan Arenado, Dylan Carlson, Yadier Molina. Like, it's it's solid. It's not sexy, but it's solid. So, Nolan Gorman uh, potentially joining that lineup sooner rather than later. The ADP for him, 394.7. So, 12-team league, you're talking about your, your last pick in the draft and stashing him until he gets called up. Chris, a sleeper for you at the second base position. Uh, Luis Arias who I think might not be that much different than Jonathan India. A lot of the underlying numbers are very, very similar. The biggest difference, if you look at StatCast, is while Arias hit the ball consistently hard a little more often in terms of hard hit rate and ags rejects velocity, uh, and the barrel rate was actually right, right there. It was 9.3 to 9.6%. His expected batting average was lower, and uh, that's the concern is that he might have to, he might be a little more extreme in the same way that Jonathan India is, but he doesn't have quite as good of an environment to do it in. Miller Park's a good park to hit in, but not necessarily as good for right-handed hitters, especially. And so that's one play. And then stolen bases. I think Jonathan India probably has an edge, but I think he can probably give you like 95% of what Jonathan India does over the course of a full season uh, at a... I mean, a, a eighty pick discount probably. I think it's I think it's even more than that, Chris. Jonathan India, the ADP is ninety four. The ADP for Luis Arias is two oh one. So over a hundred picks later, you're getting you Luis go. Arias, and uh, he's actually my breakout pick here at the position. He does have uh, multi position eligibility. I know he has second, he has third, and he also has shortstop. So a very valuable player, especially if you play in a roto league, you could throw him at corner infield, middle infield, wherever you want to play Luis Arias. The second half was awesome for Arias. Like every every way that you want to see a player progress, he did that in the second half last season. 266 batting average, 850 OPS, improved his strikeout rate, his walk rate, line drive rate, hard contact, uh, and he does hit in a good environment um, out there in Milwaukee. Chris, you mentioned Miller Park. I I don't know what this Miller Park is that you speak of. It's American Family Field. Uh, (laughs) If if you're expecting me to get the, the name of recently changed ballparks right, like, I don't even... I'm a Marlins fan, and I don't know what their stadium's called. Lone <laughs> Depot, is that right? Guaranteed rate is Chicago. Like I, I have no idea. 
<clears throat> I'm too old for that. I used to know the names of all the ballparks, and it just seems like they're changing so rapidly now. I, can't I could keep probably up. get there if I did a Sporkle quiz or something, <laughs> but just off the top of the dome, come on. Yeah, uh, it's it's all it'll always be Miller Park to me. <laughs> Fair enough. The uh, sleeper for me at second base, Colton Wong. So Luis Arias's teammate, 14 homers and 12 steals last year in only 116 games. So he's someone that I find myself drafting a lot as my middle infielder in those category leagues uh, because he could be a, you know, 15, 15 kind of bat leading off for a pretty good Brewers lineup. So uh, a batting average that won't hurt you. Solid OBP should score a good amount of runs. Just needs to stay healthy, as Chris would say. The other one is uh, Gene Segura. Boring. I get it. Going to contribute batting average, 15 homers, 10 steals. He's fine. Like He doesn't hurt you, especially if you play in a deeper league as your middle infielder. Love the cost. It's entirely possible he goes 290, 15, 15, and 90 runs. Like That's that's entirely possible. Yep. Gene Segura and Colton Wong, by the way, they... Uh, we're both, they both finished inside of the top 150 in Roto last year. They're being drafted outside of the top 200 now. So again, it's just, it's easy profit. Like these guys are boring and as a result, they're, they're getting devalued. Uh, Scotty, a, a breakout at the second base position for you. I just want to go on the record because he is such a trendy, like sleeper pick this year. I I'm, I'm not on board with the Luis Arias love. I think he's all right, Scott. Well, uh, you can. Join us tomorrow. We'll just end the podcast here. No, it's okay. I, I, tell us. I why. think he's a. I think he's a weak hitter who probably maximized his potential last year, and the numbers still weren't that good. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, you, know you know what, Scott? <laughs> That's fine. You can take Christian Vasquez two hundredth overall instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brendan Rogers is my breakout pick at this position. I've talked about him a lot both this year and last, but I'm going to talk about him some more. He, of course, was an elite prospect. It took a long time for him to get to the majors, both because it's, he plays for the Rockies, and that's how they do things, and because he had some injuries right about the time he was breaking in. That slowed him down. But he finally got consistent playing time last year and looked really good with it at 284. Um, the strikeout rate was lower than I expected, frankly. His power production... You know, he had 15 home runs and three inches to 87 at bat. So it wasn't bad. It, it was a little underwhelming. But what stands out about that is he hit 12 of his 15 home runs on the road. For like his his home away splits, he had he had better overall numbers on the road, which is you just never see for a Rockies hitter. And if you do see it, I, I take it as a really good sign because like yes. 100%. They're usually they're usually all terrible on the road, and he had an 873 OPS on the road. So you know, I expect the home runs to correct, especially since he is making contact at a good rate. And with his pedigree, now that he has really sewn up every day at bats, uh, I think I think he could potentially take off. And you know, come the end of the year, we'll view him as this must-start type player at either second base or shortstop because he's eligible both. Uh, and, you know, you can get them really late. So, Brendan Rodgers is my pick. Yeah, and I do think that there is more power potential than he showed last year. The ground ball rate was right around 51%, but you look at his minor league seasons, and he was consistently 45% or less in the ground ball rate. So, if he raises that launch angle a little bit, especially in course Field, I think there's a chance we can get 
mid-20s home runs with a strong batting average. Not sure that he's going to run. He hasn't stolen a base uh, since he was in double-A back in 2018. Yeah. So he talked about stealing 20 bases yeah. last spring, and he yeah. stole none. Yeah, that, that's probably <laughs> not going to hamstring injury in spring, He did right? have a hamstring yeah. injury. Yeah, that's what held him out at the start of the year, but still. But if he hits, if he hits 280 with, with 25 home runs uh, where he's going, which is uh, pick 166, then... Mm-hmm. That's solid. That is a, a solid yeah, game. I, I, think, I think that is kind of, I don't think that's the upside projection for him. I think that's, that's kind of just projecting out last year's numbers. Yep. So yeah, I think, uh, I think he could be really good. Uh, all right, Chris, well, your, your breakout here, I'm reading his name and who is that? Um, Giancarlo Stanton at break. No, no. Who you got, Chris? Cattell Marte. <laughs> just cause this is more like a, I don't understand why he's being drafted where he is. He's going to massively outproduce his draft position, that kind of breakout. Because the breakout already happened in 2019. It was for real for all the reasons I said before. He just needs to stay healthy. I don't think we're good at protecting injuries, so I think he's being unfairly dinged. Cattell Marte. And we did not mention this when we talked about Cattell Marte, but I think that there's a chance that he gets traded as well. So um, joining a better lineup can't hurt. Uh, getting yep. out of Arizona. So we'll see what happens. I mentioned before the breakout for me is Luis Arias. Uh, bust. Chris, we'll go to you this time first. Jonathan India, and it's mostly about the price. If he was going like 120th overall, I think it would be fine. But I just, I don't think he's an above average hitter. And I don't know how much playing in Cincinnati can buoy that. Um, I think he, like Scott said with Luis Arias, I think he probably maximized what he's capable of last season. And um, I think probably worse things are ahead for him. So that that would be my pick. Ever since you made the Jonathan India Luis Arias comp, Chris, I can't get it out of my head. And as a result, I never want to draft Jonathan India. I'm just like, well, I could just get Luis Arias later on. Why, just, why wouldn't I do that? Just a quick comment in, in, in India's defense is like he is an ex, like superlative on base guy. And that was true in the minor leagues. That's like the only way he stood out in the minors. And so, sure. you know, that doesn't have a direct impact on roto value. You know, it has an indirect on run scored, but it, it certainly matters in terms of like playing time. Like I think, I, I, I don't think there's much chance at all that he loses his job. And if it sure. is a league that rewards walks in any way, like points league, for instance, I think that gives him a pretty high floor. Well, Scott, what if I told you that last year Jonathan India had an 11.3% walk rate and Luis Arias had an 11.1% walk rate? Yeah, yeah Luis Arias was, was a th- Luis Arias was a 397 OBP guy in the minors actually. It's yes. kind of surprising. All right, so with, uh, my goal over the next month is to talk Scott into Luis Arias and, <laughs> and moving him up the rankings a little bit. Oh man, I don't think you're going to get there. <laughs> All right, Scott, who do you have as a bust at second base? So we've talked about Simeon. We've talked about Baez. I'll save one of them for shortstop and stress Chisholm. Jazz Chisholm at this position. I've kind of been over it already. He's just like really impressive tools, but not many skills yet. And I thought he was going to get buried alive when he reached the majors. I was surprised how good his April was. But then basically from that point forward, he did get buried alive. I'm not sure if he ever pulls out of that. I'm not sure how long it will take. I just think people are viewing him with rose-colored glasses here, given his ADP. All right. The bust for me is Marcus Semien. We spoke about him earlier. I don't think that he will bottom out or anything. I actually think he's a pretty, he has like a pretty high floor just in general. I just don't like the cost in the third round. He kind of feels like he should be 
a fifth or a sixth round pick. And I, I think that cost would be perfectly fine. So um, I think we're just elevating him based on his overall numbers with the Blue Jays last season. And I don't think that he will come close to replicating those once again. Let's jump into ADP review. And these are for 12 team leagues. In the first round, Trey Turner, an ADP of 2, 2.0. In round two, Ozzie Albee is going at pick 21. In round three, Marcus Semien with an ADP of 28.7 and Whitmerryfield at 33.3. We then see a 30-pick drop. Round six, Jose Altuve at pick 66.7. At the 6-7 turn, Javier Baez, 72.7 is the ADP. One round later, in round seven, Brandon Lau, 74, and Cattell Marte, the ADP is 80.3. Going just after those guys is Jorge Polanco with an ADP of 84. One round later, round eight, Jazz Chisholm, 90.3. Tommy Edmond at pick 93 and Jonathan India at pick 94. 25 picks later in round 10, Max Muncie, 116.3. Jake Cronenworth, 119.7. DJ LeMahieu, 121. We spoke about those guys extensively on our first base position preview. So uh, I'm going to skip past them here and, and make sure that we can get to a few other players. 20 picks later, uh, someone we have not talked about yet, Chris Taylor. The ADP is 141.3, and given everything that's happened so far in the Dodgers offseason, um, I would assume that Chris Taylor will have an everyday job for the Dodgers, and he's been great. Uh, you know, these reclamation guys that they've turned around, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor, um, he's been really good. 20 homers last year, 13 steals, 92 runs scored, a 254 batting average. Scott, uh, Chris, I do think that Chris Taylor is probably a little bit better in Roto because of the plate discipline, but I really like him and I, I like the versatility that he provides as well. Yeah, it's always nice to have a guy like that around and you know, basically since he's gotten to the Dodgers, you're looking at an 804 OPS, a 265 average, 20 homers, 13 steals per 162 games. If he plays a full season, I think he's going to be a really solid, like if you get him as your middle infielder, I think you're in great shape, especially because, you know, being able to use him at a couple of different spots that that's just really valuable. Yeah, I'm about it, man. Uh, cheap exposure to a really, really strong Dodgers lineup as well. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's do it with 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 Chris Taylor. I'm, I'm cool with that. Again, uh, this cost round 12 in a points league. Eh, probably don't love that as much. Yeah, but not yeah. points Yeah, <clears throat> in categories for sure. Uh, three players going between picks 150 and 170. That includes Ty France at pick 150.3. Glaber Torres at pick 156. And then Brandon Rogers, who we spoke about just before as well. Uh, Glaber Torres, worth mentioning, he doesn't have second base eligibility yet, but all indications are he's going to be the starting second baseman for the New York Yankees. So um, when it comes to Gleyber Torres, just such an interesting player to try and figure out. Um, his home run to fly ball ratio has basically tanked since the start of 2020. So the shortened season last year definitely seems like he was helped out by the juice ball, helped out by playing in Camden Yards as well. If you want some kind of glimmer of hope, 19 games at second base towards the end of last season. A 300 batting average, two homers, four doubles, and 815 OPS. Scott, is that enough to get you excited about Glaber Torres with an ADP of 156? No. No, I think he's <laughs> pretty much... I it mean, feels a little like Gary sanchez -y. Obviously, the play discipline's not nearly as bad, but just the the gap between how hard he hits the ball at his at its hardest and how consistently he hits it, it just seems like there's something wrong with his swing. 
Um, he doesn't really swing at pitches outside of the strike zone, but he still ranks in the 38th percentile in whiff rate, which is a pretty awful sign if you're not really chasing bad pitches and you still can't make contact. I don't know what has happened to him. It's so weird. When he first came up, he was my favorite player on the Yankees. And I, I just like, he seemed like he was so advanced beyond his years, like his plate discipline and uh, pitch recognition and, and all these different kinds of things. I, I do think that he's been almost too patient, passive at times. Uh, you know, when he was at his best in 2018 and 2019, he was chasing more pitches out of the strike zone. I, I think he's just got to get back to being that player. Like, do what works best for you, even if you're not walking as much, even if you're striking out more. Yeah. I, 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 that's That would be my advice to you, Glaber Torres, if you're listening, which I know you're probably not, but uh, just a very interesting player to, to figure out at this point in the draft. Uh, two second basemen going between picks 180 and 200. Eduardo Escobar at pick 180, exactly. And then Ryan McMahon going at pick 183. Uh, Chris, we've kind of reached the point of drafts where, like, I don't think there's much upside with either one of these guys, but especially for Escobar, the floor seems sky high. 253 batting average, 28 homers, 90 RBI, signed an offseason deal with the New York Mets. Yeah, I think he's the kind of guy that if you end up, he's both second and third base eligible this season, right? Yes. If you end up with him as either your corner or middle infielder uh, and you wait a really long time, I think that's a, a perfectly fine way to approach your draft because I think he's going to be a very solid player. You look at, you know, 2020 was the down year, but other than that, he'd been pretty consistently good for a while. So, you know, it was a 605 OPS in 2020, 786 in 2021, 824 and 831 the previous two seasons. So I think he's a perfectly fine starter and he's probably a, a very good value at his price. I feel like Escobar... McMahon and another one, Jonathan Scope. They're like the ultimate fallback options at this position where I, I, they'll keep your head above water. They'll they'll hit about 250. They'll hit about 20 homers. You know, they're, they're not going to set you apart, really, but they're not. If, if just disaster comes, they're going to be there and they're going to be fine. And uh, that's a nice luxury to have. Yeah, if you just need bankable stats later on in your drafts, these are fine names to target. Don't really think they have much upside. Ryan McMahon last year, 254, 23 homers, 86 RBI, 6 steals. Showed some signs where he was uh, he lowered the ground ball rate the first two months, but then that kind of regressed back over the final four months. So uh, I still think there might be something there with Ryan McMahon. He just has to show more consistency in his batted ball data. There are four second basemen going between picks 200 and 220. Luis Arias, Colton Wong, Gene Segura, and Jonathan Scope. Scotty, I mentioned Colton Wong and Gene Segura as two sleeper candidates of mine. Uh, they're kind of boring, but um, yeah. they kind of do interesting things as as what, like that point in the draft to get either speed or batting average, depending on what you need. I, I feel like both guys can, can help out there. Yeah, I mean... Not enough, not enough to 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 accept the lack of power. I would say, um, you know, you get that list late in the draft, and you don't have a second baseman yet. Okay, there's not much better you can do. Um, but you know, if it, if it becomes a choice between like Gene Segura and Jonathan Scope, let's say, I'd I'd rather go Scope and and just try and keep up in the power categories than. You know the 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 marginal help that Segura is in those other categories. 
Three more going between picks 230 and 250. Gavin Lux, 237.3. Kike Hernandez with the Red Sox, 243.3. And then Abraham Toro Hernandez with the Seattle Mariners. The ADP there is 250.5. Chris, what do you think about this group? Gavin Lux, can it finally happen? Will we see consistent playing time for one Mr. Gavin Lux? Not if he doesn't hit better. I mean, there's no reason for them to have played him more based on what he's done so far in his major league career. Like last season was a little less worrisome, but it wasn't good by any stretch of the imagination. 323 expected Woba. That's below average. He walked a little bit, but the biggest problem, he has a 499 OPS against lefties in his major league career. And basically if you looked at his minor league career, when he was this big prospect and everybody was getting really excited about him, part of it was that he hit lefties really well in that one big breakout season in the minors in 2019. If you took that out, I think he was below 730 OPS against lefties his entire minor league career otherwise. So we basically have like a 100 plate appearance sample of Kevin Lux being able to hit lefties as a professional. I don't think it's going to happen for him. Well, I mean, he really hasn't shown he can hit righties in the majors either. Right, also, yeah. He came up... his latest big lead stint in September, he went 18 for 50, batted 360. And I think that's why there's some renewed enthusiasm for us now, him now, but it was mostly singles. His ISO in those 50 at-bats was 140. So yeah. it, it wasn't anything to get excited there, about, really. There are some, there's some red on the StatCast page if you want to, like 61st percent on average exit velocity, 67th and max, 60th and XBA. Like you can kind of talk yourself into maybe he's an adjustment or two away from being like, and slightly above average hitter at second base, but I, I don't know. I, I, I see very little to be optimistic about in his profile at this point. Five more second basemen going between picks 270 and 300. Dick Madrigal now with the Chicago Cubs at pick 272. Garrett Hampson at 275.3. Adam Frazier, 283.3. Jonathan VR at 291. And Josh Rojas at 292.7. Scott, this group is pretty uninspiring. The one name that I'll bring up, <clears throat> Garrett Hampson, projected to be an everyday player for the Rockies. I don't think that he's good. He is a 680 OPS bat in his career, over 329 games, but he hit 11 homers with 17 steals last year. So if you need speed really late in your drafts, Garrett Hampson is a name. Yeah, I just I don't think it's worth it. I don't think the steals he provides are worth it. Uh, this is this is the range where it's like just stash, just draft and stash Nolan Gorman instead. Three hundred plus ADP: Jeff McNeil, Andres Jimenez, my man, David Fletcher, Cesar Hernandez, uh, Vidal Bruhan. Not sure what we get out of Vidal Bruhan at this point with the Tampa Bay Rays. Chris, do you have anyone here that stands out? Three hundred plus ADP. <laughs> Jeff McNeil is the obvious answer. Like I, I don't know what we're acting like he's just not going to play, I guess, or that he's just completely done. And, you know, he he hit well over 300 for three seasons before a bad 120 games in 2021. He might just be done, but he was a 319 hitter over his first three seasons. Like, I'm not ready to write him off. It's not like he's 36. The dude's yeah, I, just I turned, feel he like hasn't even turned 30 yet. I kind of feel like he's David Fletcher is the thing. I mean, David Fletcher could hit 319 as well. I think the standout pick here is Bruhan, who I'm surprised, frankly, is going this late, given the fervor over stolen bases. I mean, 
I don't know what kind of playing time he's going to get, especially with the Rays. I don't know if he's going to make the opening day roster, but he's versatile. He's 80 grade speed. So, I mean, he could, he could do a lot of damage in that category with very little or just even modest playing time. Yeah, he's going super late, 353.3, so very late in your Roto categories leagues. Um, take a shot. If he doesn't play early on, then you could just cut him. Or or maybe he just lives up to his prospect pedigree and, and becomes a breakout player. So uh, not really any risk there with uh, where Vidal Brujan is going. Uh, we haven't mentioned his name yet, but quickly. Robinson Cano, the ADP is 468, and the last time we saw him was in the shortened 2020 where he hit 316 with an 896 OPS over 49 yep. games. So, yep. And I'm going to invest in a Met at this position. I'd, I'd rather be Cano than McNeil. He is playing in the Winton Dominican Winter League, or he was. I think his season's over. And he hit 344 with an 825 OPS. We're talking about 74 plate appearances, but he only struck out seven times. So, I don't know. Maybe there's still something there. <laughs> Uh, last week, ster- I mean, he was awesome. Yeah, he took steroids once before. You don't just lose all those gains. So yep. I don't know. It's it would not shock me if he was a top one fifty player. And there was a report that the MLB is no longer testing players for PEDs. So something <laughs> well, that could uh, potentially help Robinson. Could, no, no, I'm just kidding. But, right now, <laughs> um, prospects to know. Quickly wrap up with this: Nolan Gorman's guy you mentioned, Michael Bush. Maybe with the Dodgers. I mean, they just have so many players. I, I don't I don't know where he's going to fit in there. Uh, Vidal Brujan with Tampa Bay. And then I wrote in maybe Justin Foscue this year. I know he got to double A. You know, maybe it's like a late season call up. Probably not more than that. Yeah, that's for the Rangers, Justin Foscue. And they just signed two middle infielders. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it might be, he might be a stretch. But Bush, I think, is, is uh, somebody to speculate on his upside is similar to a max muncie just like the the money ball ops guy walks a lot has a lot of power yeah i i think uh i think there's a good chance a spot opens up for him at some point this season all right yeah i mean hey if gavin lux is not is not hitting then maybe we we see michael I mean, bush get I, in there. maybe he replaces max muncie outright because muncie's having tommy john Yep. I'm not saying Muncie's having Tommy John, <laughs> but he may need it. Yes, he may. Uh, all right, so uh, I wanted this to be our most efficient one yet, and it's been our longest position preview. So I'm not going to apologize anymore. Enjoy our longest position preview yet. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank Dickel for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Keyword yet. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.